0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Memento on the Mainline. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Joanna Hollerin.
1: And I'm Dr. Elon Green. We're here to talk about all things health, wellness, fitness, performance, and overall well-being. Hope you enjoy the show. Stewart's chiropractor and owner of Rehab Labs Chicago. He grew up in the suburbs of Chicago with a passion for sports. He played football through high school and into college where he was a Division III All-American defensive back at Wheaton College as a senior. There, he completed his bachelor's degree in applied health science. Upon graduating in 2015, he accomplished his lifelong dream of riding his bicycle from San Francisco to Boston. From then on, the idea of overcoming obstacles became ingrained in his life. Before beginning his graduate studies, he worked as a sports performance coach in Highland Park, where he worked with athletes of all ages. Then in 2016, he moved to San Jose, California, where he completed his doctorate of chiropractic while earning clinical excellence honors. Now, he provides care for a wide range of individuals, including over 40 professional athletes across various sports. Most notably, he works with multiple active NFL players on the Chicago Bears, helping them to prevent injury and optimize performance. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Michael Risher.
0: How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, welcome. I'm I'm excited to have you. I know we've talked about it before,
1: but um yeah, you've done some really cool stuff in terms of like getting out into practice and, and pursuing, you know, sports chiropractic and rehab. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to dive into some of those concepts, but but first, you know, usually it's a it's a good idea to give some people some background on on who you are and, and some of the path that led up to this point. So, I mean, first, what was it that brought you to pursue a career in sports chiropractic?
0: Yeah. So uh, basically I broke my back when I was in seventh grade and uh, just very, very typical for my, my age demographic uh, spondylolisthesis at L5. So basically fractured in two spots and then one vertebrae slipped forward off of another and played through an entire baseball, football, and volleyball season. I knew something was wrong, but didn't want to get it checked out because I was dumb. Like, if I could go back, I absolutely would have gotten an X ray almost immediately because um, it was that bad. Hey, Heinz, um, it's <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're young and dumb, and you convince your parents that you're fine. Uh, but Mike, I went to my chiropractor weekly. Uh, I went from barely being able to walk going into his office to walking and playing a full week of practice coming out and, uh, just kind of being exposed to chiropractic and how that helped me stay healthy. And I didn't miss a single game, um, throughout my entire football career, even though I had a lot of, uh, injuries, I would go see my chiropractor. He would get me, uh, rehabbed up, uh, soft tissue work, all that good stuff. And I was, I was able to play healthy through my entire football career through, uh, what was it? 10 years. I did not miss a single game. Um, so that was, that was just kind of a testament to how awesome sports chiropractic can be. And really what I learned about myself and kind of what drew me to it was, um, I love fixing things. I'm not very good at fixing things around the house. I will, it will be, it will be functional to a base level, but it's not going to look pretty and there's probably going to be a screw missing somewhere, but I love, I love fixing things and I'm an extrovert. I love humans. Um, i love hanging out with people they give me energy and so when i was thinking of that uh, i I'm probably not cut out to be an engineer there's probably going to be a lot of things that are go wrong there but uh fixing fixing people made a ton of sense for me so that was kind of that was kind of what i what i realized is i, I love fixing things i love people why not fixing people
1: yeah I, it was, it's interesting too because i feel like there are a lot of people within you know the profession of sports medicine who like all of them had sports injuries or something that kind of like led up to that point and yeah you're totally right it's like in order to to be good at working with people you probably you got to like people you know and, and so it's, it, it's it's nice to have a little bit of a background of what it's like to be a patient so that you can put yourself in the patient's shoes too Um, so I know your chiropractor, it seems like had a pretty big influence on you. Um, was there anybody else like any coaches, trainers, other clinicians that kind of helped to shape your vision of what you wanted to do as a, as a sports chiropractor?
0: Um, so I actually had two different chiropractors growing up. One, uh, that was probably seventh grade through maybe sophomore, junior year of high school. And then kind of my senior year on that guy got really busy and I needed to be seen more often because obviously my body was getting beat up pretty regularly playing football. And so I went to the guy that I ended up going to was mentored by my former chiropractor and then he kind of became my mentor as well. So really the the two chiropractors um, were the biggest ones. And then the reason I wanted to work with athletes kind of came down to an internship that I did, uh, a sports performance training at EFT, Sports Performance in Highland Park. And I worked with a ton of athletes there and I saw how much influence these coaches, these, these sports performance coaches had. On the development of young athletes and um, their off-season training and their in-season and, and kind of the mental aspect and the encouragement and the everything kind of combined with the sports performance coaching and I thought man these people and it wasn't necessarily one in particular maybe maybe this guy Kerry Neal uh, who who now is the owner of Win Performance um, so there were there were a bunch of people in the sports performance world that kind of trained me that influenced me. It wasn't wasn't a single individual or single instance. Um, but kind of just the being being generally um trained and seeing what the off-season and seeing what the in-season was like with these people, it was it made it a no-brainer for me to want to do it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, in our first episode, we, we kind of talked about the wide range of availability of sports training out there. And so to have, you know, some some exposure, especially, you know, on, on the training side of what really, really good sports performance training looks like is an absolute game changer. And so, you know, it's, it's cool to see kind of this next evolution of, of chiropractic, especially sports chiropractic, where there are people like yourself who are kind of bridging that gap between, you know, the manual therapy side of things and um, the sports performance side of things, what qualifies as rehab, what kind of transitions over into sports performance. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, based on your experience with that, I mean, you're working with some pretty high level athletes, like, like some of the Chicago Bears athletes. So when you're you're starting to approach care now in your practice, are there certain things that you're looking for or like evaluations, assessments, things that, that help to kind of shape your clinical approach to working with those types of athletes?
0: Yeah. So I really look at load management as a huge thing. So whether it's a CrossFitter that comes in, I'm asking, okay, how often are you working out every week? Are you doing extra stuff or is it just the class kind of what, what phase of training are you in? For the, the guys that are in season, for the Bears guys or, or any other professional athlete, it's the same thing. How is your body feeling? How many weeks have you been practicing without a break? What do your rest days look like? How many days of strength training are you doing within that? And then how do we, because I'm, I'm a rehab-based doctor and your tissues can only handle so much load. So it's, okay, how do I get you to do the things that I know are going to be beneficial for you? without overloading you and making you do hours and hours of rehab and then you you know that that affects your training and affects your performance so the biggest thing that i look at is load management um, and and that varies from from person to person and it's just kind of how's your body feeling what is your perceived recovery like um and then you know what what phase of training you in, how how frequent is it so that's that's the main thing that i look at and then Basically with all my evaluations, I look at, um, kind of the, I, I use kind of the, the biotensegrity model, um, when I'm, yeah. when I'm thinking about things. And so if you, if you think about it, how much do you have pulling in you, pulling you in one direction, how much do you have pulling in the other direction? And have you been overtraining one aspect under Another aspect is one side too tight is one side too, too stretched all of, all of that biotensegrity. I'm, I'm kind of checking that within each athlete. And then the final thing I check is a reactivity muscle test. And so there's kind of, this is kind of a gray area. Lots of people like it. Lots of people hate it. Probably more people hate it than like it, but it's, um, it it kind of gives me a good picture. I don't, I don't do, so it's called applied kinesiology. I don't do it for any nutritional testing. I don't do it for any allergies. I don't do it to check your, uh, acupuncture meridians, any of that stuff. It's more of a neurologic how quickly is your muscle responding so i have no doubt that that uh, an nfl player is fully strong like there's no there's no additional strength training that i need to add to what they're already doing but if their muscles are not able to uh, respond quickly enough to meet the demands of their sport then i know that we have an area we need to work on so i'll do i'll kind of look at those three things with Um, kind of a reactive muscle test, the biotinsegrity model, and then what's their load look like and and how can we manage their load better?
1: Absolutely. And and I think uh, you kind of bring up an interesting point too. So, So first, it seems like And it probably goes without saying, but context is key for everything. Right. And so, you know, when you're looking at, uh, you talked about load management and, and, you know, their perceived, uh, you know, recovery and stuff like that context of whatever goal they're trying to achieve right now, that's the priority. And so that's, that's important. And then when it comes to, um, you know, you talked about reactivity muscle testing. I think, like you said, and I I know you immediately kind of jump out because I think, especially for people in the industry, especially chiropractic, when you drop the the name applied kinesiology, people immediately go toward, you know, like, oh, I know that technique and I I don't believe in its philosophy or whatever. But for context, it does, I mean, it it is a a valuable tool to be able to assess somebody's ability to react, um, ability to kind of contract the right muscle. And especially in what you do, I know you work a lot with um, specific positions that athletes are in. And so being able to kind of use the concepts of, I won't say applied kinesiology, let's just say reactive muscle testing, um, to be able to put them in certain positions and then test reactivity to see if they're, you know, for lack of a better word, strong or reactive in those positions, it can kind of help to guide your rehab. Is that correct?
0: Exactly. And I mean, the, the patterns that you can find, because... And, and we can get into it. This kind of flows from the biotensegrity model and the fascial, the fascial model, everything is connected in your body. And it's not just we're, like we're working on a bicep or we're working on a tricep. You're working on the whole, the, the whole chain, you're working on the whole shoulder complex at that point. And so if I go in and I'm like, all right, well, I just see hamstring, hamstrings, weak hamstring, 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 I'm missing the entire picture. Uh, so I like the muscle testing as a, okay, here's a way that we can get a quick snapshot into how you're doing. But let's take that and not just look at the isolated muscle. Let's look at how that affects the entire system. The other thing I'll say specifically for athletes, there's a certain psychological piece too, where if you have a strong muscle test, quote unquote, strong muscle test or a reactive muscle test, and you know that your body is, is responding quickly, there's more confidence. And from a psychological perspective, you can influence Uh, an athlete in that way where you're like, Hey, you're responding really quickly. Look at the difference here, whatever the flexibility, the, the responsiveness, when an athlete has more confidence in their body and confidence, uh, just how their body is working, they're going to be better performers on the field or in the weight room or or whatever it is.
1: Back to this, this idea of these multi kind of like plain fascial patterns. Um, I think sometimes clinicians, get caught up in like, like, Oh, like, you know, I can't get too far from treating the area. Otherwise, like I'm, I'm getting way too far out. So if like somebody has like a shoulder complaint, it's like, I only look at the shoulder or somebody has a hip complaint. I only look at the hip. What are some of the things that you've noticed in terms of, uh, I mean, I I guess this is probably a good time to dive into fascial patterns. So, so what is, what is your approach to fascial patterns and and kind of looking at movement from like a a wide, um, open kind of concept
0: as far as, I don't know as far as the movement patterns go when a lot of people want to train muscles in isolation and that's totally fine. Um, I don't have any problem with that for kind of your your average person, but when you look at how players move on the field it is such, there, there's a lot of very predictable patterns, right? Your gait pattern is very predictable. A throwing pattern is very predictable. A jumping pattern is very predictable. And so when you start to look at kind of the whole picture of what an athlete is and the whole picture of how they move on the field, if you have a quarterback, they have to be able to run, they have to be able to throw, they have to be able to throw on the run, right? And then they have to be able to do that all without thinking about each individual mechanic. So they're There's so many movement patterns that are just ingrained neurologically that just becomes second nature. And when you break each one of those things down and you look at, okay, what muscles are firing together, which muscles are moving during, during this, uh, and and contracting during, during this movement, you can kind of gain a greater picture of, um, what the person is required to do. So an easy, I mean, I know throwing football, that's, that's kind of, out there, and not—that's a very niche thing. Not everybody's playing that. But let's talk about a squat. How many people are are doing squats? Whether it's just sitting in and out of a chair, uh, or doing CrossFit, or powerlifting, or bodybuilding, whatever, whatever it is. There's so many people that do squats. If you look at if someone comes in like, "Up, uh, my knee hurts when I squat," and you only treat the knee, and you're just trying to manipulate the joint, you miss the entire kinetic chain. So it's like, okay, well, what if your ankle? is weak or you have a previous injury there that now you have an ankle that's collapsing and then a knee that's collapsing and now you have weird torque on the knee and and so you start to look at all these things okay my hip hurts well what happened with the ankle what's going on with the upper body what's going on with the the breathing and so if you just try and treat the pain and just look at the single joint or the single muscle and say oh let's try and get the pain out of here you're missing an entire picture of how that person's moving because if if someone says I have knee pain during a squat and you just treat the knee, you're assuming that they're only using their knee in that movement. When in reality, it's every single spinal vertebrae. They're using their diaphragm. They're using their hip flexors. They're using front and back muscles uh, uh, in their legs. They're using hip knee, ankle toes. Like if you just look at the single isolated place, you're missing the entire picture of what a human does in movement. And so, The fascial, the fascial trains, like the, the, it's a, it's a more organized way of thinking of that essentially where you say, okay, bottom of the toe is connected up the back to the top of the head. And that's a very simple way of saying it where, where the hamstring starts has a start and an end. The fascia is continuous through that entire, um, through that entire length of toe to back of the head. You can, you can have calf start and end fascia is continuous up through the hamstring, up through the glute, up through the back, up into the, to the neck and the head, you know? So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the overall picture where you gain a much more complete understanding of humans as movers and what's actually going on. When you look at it as a, a, instead of individual units, you look at his entire fascial system.
1: Yeah. I I, I love, I love that you use that point too, because there's a study that they performed, uh, that showed that, you know, even just stretching, uh, in your lower extremity, improved cervical range of motion because of those long chain fascial planes, right? And so I think sometimes when a concept is, it seems more abstract, when you break it down and kind of break it into those details and demonstrate how everything is connected, it starts to make more sense. And that's when you can start getting more detailed in terms of your approach to things. So with some specific questions about your approach, you talked about um, movement patterns. And then there's also um, different like, uh stimuli that you're putting in place to get specific adaptations so so part of it is if if i'm understanding correctly it's it's um looking at the quality of the movement pattern but then you're also trying to get specific adaptations like strengthening a movement pattern Mm -hmm. and so my question is i know we talked a little bit about uh You know, looking at the way somebody moves and trying to make sure that they're efficient and strong through the pattern, but in terms of uh, some of the rehab approaches like what types of loads or or, you know, like ways that you. uh, apply loads to athletes uh, to get that sort of um, adaptation that you're looking for in the myofascial system like what was your process for approaching that
0: yeah so i'm going to start i'm going to start that that's a that's a a simple answer if you just want that but it makes much more sense in the context of um when you're when you're looking at the patterns everything is intuitive in how you move right if you're stepping you have opposite arm opposite leg pecs contracting lats relaxing right quad hip flexors going and so you have this you have these these natural patterns where if you just watch people move and watch people move properly that whole thing makes sense now what i try to do is exaggerate those movement patterns and, and basically uh, uh, a concept I like to use is training muscles in the FEP, the fully extended position. And if you're, so you're, you're strongest in the fully shortened position, your muscle is strongest in the fully shortened position. And that's always going to be the case. Your, your curl is always gonna be the strongest at the top. Your bench is always gonna be strongest at the lockout. Yeah,
1: length, length, tension, relationships, yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. And so um, kind of when when you're training muscles, that's going to be the strongest place to train. Right. But what we find is if you stretch the muscle fully, then you're also stretching the fascia around it. And, and, and we can get really deep into the weeds with, with the, the histology and kind of the the structure of fascia. We don't necessarily need to go there, but the whole concept is, or, or one of the main concepts is using a slow eccentric or a slow lengthening into that fully extended position, not just of a single muscle, but of the entire fascial chain. And so what that kind of does is the slow eccentric um, helps strengthen the collagen fibers in the fascia. And so when you're when you're doing the slow eccentric, you get a lot of muscle, like you're, you're using your muscles. I'm not gonna say that you're ignoring the muscles and just training the fascia, but there's a fascial emphasis because we're doing a slow eccentric into a fully extended position, and the eccentric is going to help align and strengthen the collagen fibers. Um, and, and really, we're going for the entire fascial chain, not just a singular muscle. So, so that's kind of the that's kind of the the way that I do it. First of all, is let's make sure that your tissue is organized. Um, there's, I don't know if you follow fascial nerd on Instagram. Yep. Yep. He's, he's phenomenal. Rob, Rob Umfress. He's, he's awesome. Um, he's put a couple of these things out and they're just, they're great bullet points that kind of, you can know, but he's verbalized them really well. Um, and so basically the, the principle of fascia number two that he, that he has on his Instagram post is, uh, fascia remodels in the direction that tension is applied. And so if you want your fascia to be strengthened in a position, you need to be in that position to strengthen it. And that's kind of why I take these movement patterns and then exaggerate them a little bit because we you're you're operating in the, the place of most strength. You're never, you're never going to be at the fully extended position in a sport. So we need to, in order to strengthen the fascia, we need to organize it along that entire range of motion. And so we're, we're remodeling the fascia in the direction that, that we want it to, that we want to ingrain the movement pattern. The other piece is, and this is this is kind of the second way that we train the fascia, um, fascia actually has uh, elastic recoil properties. And so you think of, I don't know, you think of the counter or depth jumps rather, or a counter movement jump, right? You're so much more explosive when you can get a little bit of load and a little bit of recoil in. Does some of that come from, from muscle? Absolutely. Most of it but does a lot of it also come from the elastic recoil in the the entire fascial pattern? I believe so. Um, And I think you're, I think there's enough research out there to support that claim where it's okay. Maybe we haven't studied this exact specific thing, but when you take the, the body of evidence, you can draw a natural conclusion that these elastic principles that fascia have has can be utilized in sports. So now we go, okay, let's, kind of remodel the tissue. Let's do those slow eccentrics, the slow lengthening into that fully extended position of the muscle and the, and the, the chain. Once we've hit that part where we, we feel like we have a requisite amount of organization, then we go into some plyometrics. And so now I'll do kind of a rebound and a recoil quick out trying to trying to stimulate that that elastic process. So um plyometrics or like quick overspeed eccentrics and and anything banded where it's pulling you over speed into that depth jumps all of these all of these plyometric principles we're doing within these specific movement patterns now that you know translate to your sport right
1: and so i'm going to go back a little bit because i know i know you talked about uh you know like people not believing that like fascia has a role in that whole thing and i think i'm I'm gonna repeat myself on the context word but i think it's a theme here where it's it's context is super important for the type of rehab or training that you're trying to accomplish and so i think sometimes like you were saying it's like so we we're like oh yeah well you have to train the muscles or you have to train the tendons or whatever it is but i think the context of what you're training for probably determines what you're trying to focus on so sometimes when we talk about performance training how it's like fascia helps to transfer forces along the body which helps to improve performance or force output right then we're talking about um trying to get everything working together whereas when we talk about more of like a rehab standpoint it's like oh we're we're trying to rehab a tendon injury or a fascial injury or a muscle injury and that's when you're just trying to, to implement like a some sort of Um, exercise or load to specifically get a response from that tissue. But I think sometimes we're asking the wrong question of like, what's the thing doing the most work in this movement pattern when we talk about performance and the answer is like all of them. Right. But I think sometimes, like you said, it's like people focus too much on the muscle or the tendon and leave out the fascia and that whole connection and, and miss this opportunity to get full length and tension through their training patterns, which is why I think, you know, from my standpoint, what you're doing is so interesting and cool because you're, you're taking it that next step to take fascia into consideration and, and training that whole pattern. So, I guess when it comes to those types of contexts, uh, performance training and rehab, because you you do both, um, do you find like is there anything that you change in terms of the the load that you apply when you're trying to rehab somebody post injury versus when you're trying to improve their performance? And is there any kind of crossover there?
0: Yeah. So when I'm, uh, so I, I also want to clarify, I think that a well-rounded training protocol has fascial training as a portion of it, but not the only thing, right? right? Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying only go out and do this one sort of exercise, right? The, uh, so, so when we work with, with Justin Fields in season, he does two lifts a week with his team, right? He's doing deadlifts, uh, low, lower body emphasis day one, and then upper body emphasis day two. And he's lifting weights. He's doing deadlift. He's doing bench press pull-ups, like all of all that, that great strength training. We also do our fascial training with him. We also do plyometrics. We also do sleds, right? I have him, uh, part of, part of keeping him healthy and, and operating at top speed is three top speed sprints a week, right? So we have a, full range of what we do it's not just the fascial training okay so just want to just want to um,
1: <laughs> not not just what people see on instagram
0: <laughs> right not just what people see on, there's there's a lot more than like you can't we can't look at one instagram post and think that fully encapsulates the entire training protocol like that's 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 not what we're just to throw it out there <laughs> just just saying um, Continue. so so there there's a ton of overlap and i will say that everything we do for so the, the rehabilitation from an injury is much more specific and targeted and the prevention includes everything that we do in the rehab, but is expanded. Um, and so if I get someone I'm taking, if I get someone that's, that's injury free, I'm taking them through all of the the movement patterns that I think are, are beneficial for them, knowing their sport, knowing their, their position. And so we're doing, we're doing a bunch of different things. We're, we're taking them through plyometrics we're taking them through the slow eccentrics we're we're doing all the soft tissue throughout throughout the whole chain now if i get someone with an injury that's where we kind of have to narrow the focus just a little bit because if i have a if i have a bears player with a pulled hamstring he could care less how his shoulder is moving if he cannot use his hamstring right and so maybe we maybe we have to work up the chain into the shoulder i've had that before i got a i got a crazy story i can share with you at the end about how i f- we fixed someone's foot by working on their rotator cuff it was absolutely insane. Like I, I have no explanation other than the fascial chain. It was, it was wild. Um, but we'll, we can talk about that a little bit later, but you have, to, you to, you have to narrow the focus. And so uh, when you have these, these muscle injuries or the joint injuries, uh, I like to look specifically at eccentric only at first. And, and even if it, if we can't do that, I look at isometric first, because if you can't even bear the load, I'll do just isometric. So just these static holds. And then once they can tolerate an eccentric or the lengthening portion, then we do eccentric only essentially. And then kind of once we get past that, that pain stage, and we, I feel like we can add in concentric, then we add in some concentric. And then once we're tolerating that, well, then we move back to the entire focus. So, so you you look at when you have an injury, we go back to the, uh, fascias remodeling in the direction that tension is applied. You are specifically focusing on that one injury. Plus that's that whole fascial chain. So if we have a hamstring, now I'm focusing on plantar fascia, calf, hamstring, glute, all up the paraspinals up to the skull, right? That's my, that's my main focus is that specific chain. And we're doing slow isometrics, slow eccentrics, and then all of the soft tissue on that area. And so that's, that's how I would say it, it varies is you have the entire training system. You're trying to to get full range of motion in all the joints you're trying to train a, a bunch of different chains, but when you have an injury, you have to narrow that focus a lot because like I said, you have a hamstring injury you could care less how your shoulder is doing if you can't run right it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how great your your shoulder feels and how well your shoulders moving if you can't run and play your sport anyway
1: yeah so I, i'm also kind of curious too because i think that i mean naturally any any really good clinician is going to draw from a lot of different sources and i know that you're somebody who took their time to learn a lot of different concepts and draft your own approach to things and so You know, for anybody listening who's either practicing and looking to get more into it or who's a student who might be learning or somebody who's just interested in the topic in general, are there any resources or or things that you find would be helpful to dive into some of these concepts?
0: Yeah. So uh, first of all, I think the the book Anatomy Trains by Thomas Meyer uh, is, or Thomas Meyers with an S at the end, uh, is is really good. Um, It kind of outlines it, uh, uh, the whole fascial system really well. Um, I think there are a handful of kind of, for lack of a better term, movement coaches out there that are really good. Uh, I think it, uh, the secret of athleticism, Chong, uh, Coach Chong Chi is okay. – is,
1: we, can, we can always link it after uh, – yeah. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, don't worry about –
0: <laughs> So, he's, it <laughs> so, so Chong, Chong is good. I think as much as I dislike the Gota guys – And how they interact with people. I think they have a lot of good stuff. They're, they're, uh, the basis of their training, I think is, is misguided. Um, and I think they're absolute jerks, but I think, I think, um, they do have a lot of, they do have a lot of good things that they do. Um, so I don't want to knock them completely They They do have a lot of good things. Um, yeah, don't don't throw the
1: baby out with the bathwater, right? <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Take what take what you can learn from them because they they obviously have something that is effective that helps people. Um, so so kind of look at all of that. Um, you can you can check me out, uh, but really anyone that you can you can tell how successful someone is at what they're doing, not by how many Instagram followers they have, although that that kind of creates social currency and, and it's kind of cool, but more how do their athletes perform and how healthy do their athletes stay so if you want to be the best at any one thing look at the people who are training the best athletes and who have the healthiest athletes and i think you look at those two things and if you can kind of do the research yourself whoever has those two things those are going to be the people that you want to draw from and they may not have everything right i guarantee they don't have everything or i guarantee i don't have everything right but I do know that if I'm pulling a lot of correct things from people that are doing, are doing things right. I'm going to have a really full picture of what I want to do.
1: Yeah. Well, so I, I guess kind of going into that, I know you're, you're working on uh, your own kind of concept um, with regards to fascial neurology. And so, um, you know, rather than have me try to explain it, do you kind of want to go into a little bit of, of summary of what you're working on and, and, you know, what, what fascial neurology is all
0: about? Yeah. So we're, we're still working on the, the naming of it. I like fascial yeah. neurology. Uh, That's okay. I won't, I won't hold you to that. Yeah. We're, we're playing around with a bunch of different names right now. Uh, but, but for lack of better term, the, the fascial neurology, and that could be the one we go with the fascial neurology deals with two different things, right? Fascia is highly innervated. So there's, you're dealing with a, a, a a large amount of uh nerves when you're when you're dealing with fascia so we're, we're training the fascia we're training your your body's uh proprioception we're training your body's uh ability ability to do movement patterns through these kind of fascial this fascial lens right it's not a, it's not a strength and conditioning program it is a more rehab prehab based thing so um you're, you're training the fascia again with these these slow eccentrics some isometrics uh and and then moving into certain plyometrics Uh, and and we focus on a bunch of different movement patterns, uh, sports specific, non-sports specific, just kind of general, general population stuff. But the big thing that I think separates it is we want your, we want your brain to understand the movement patterns so that it is second nature to you. Right. When, when, when a guy is tackled, getting tackled on the football field, and his cleat is stuck in the ground. I don't want him to think, oh shoot, I have to, you know, squeeze my hamstring, press my big toe into the ground, you know, and tibialis anterior, and all these different things. I want him to have practiced it so many times in his body to have have understood that movement pattern. That boom, okay, knees hyperextending, all of these muscles, this whole pattern kicks in, and I know that I'm immediately going to pull myself out of it. And so, while I can't claim a hundred percent kind of responsibility for it, there have been a handful and i can send you the pictures there have been a handful of like very extreme knee hyperextension where you where you look at and you're like how did this guy not just blow his acl out and i fully believe if you watch it in slow motion some people are, are born with it a little bit more than others and some people so some people have to train it but i fully believe that these movement patterns help protect acls help protect hamstrings calves ankles all of this stuff um, if I showed you these pictures, just the, the still frame of how hyperextended the knee is and said, this guy was out for two plays and that's it. You would, you would not believe me. Um, yes. and so, and so we, what we want is you, the, the neurology pieces, you're going to train it so that your brain and your body are in, in such sync that immediately as something happens, your, your body reacts to it. If you step off a curb, I want your body to be so ingrained in this pattern that you don't roll your ankle.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think on that note too, it's like, if we, if we fully understood how injuries occurred, then we probably have a really, really good idea of how to present, how to prevent them. But we, we're still figuring that out. Nobody knows hundred percent, but I do think you're on the right track because it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted thing where, I mean, you touched on confidence level going in or confidence going into it, uh, you know, determines our, our confidence in how we move. And if we're not feeling great, then we're probably not going to move, you know, with high quality at the same time, there's also that sense of like, you know, what role does uh, anatomic load even play in it? You know, obviously there's going to be a certain amount of load that's going to rupture some sort of tissue. But just because you get into some of those extreme positions doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to place the amount of load on it. And so then you touched on this concept about um, how we adapt to, uh, to you know, be able to, to manage certain stimuli – And there is that phase. And I think it's actually important. Um, I'm glad that you brought it up because when we first introduce like a a, a movement pattern thing to an athlete, um, they're not used to it. And it takes a ton of conscious effort. And then the more that they practice it, the less that they have to think about it. And the less that they have to think about it, the more it becomes just the way that they do things. And so that's that kind of three-step process of you know, making something, uh, yeah, just, just your natural, you know, like I can wake up and get out of bed and that's just the way that I do things. And so I think that, um, it's also important to to note, especially for, you know, practicing clinicians and and students that that takes time and repetition. It's not something that somebody's going to get, um, just, you know, immediately in one visit, it's something that you have to have patience with. And and you probably know that being, you know, working with these guys, um, so I'm curious before we kind of get in the, the final lightning round, and and I think we got a ton of good stuff. I, I think uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that we could probably do another podcast on, especially when it comes to some of the specifics. But I'm curious about the the case that you were talking about with the the, the rotator cuff. If you want to drop some clinical uh, pearls and knowledge on that,
0: yeah, totally. And and just kind of just kind of going back to that that timeline piece real quick. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Typically, what I what I notice with the fascial neurology is. You feel a difference immediately, but you're not able to maintain that difference for about a month to two months, right? So you're looking at four to eight weeks before you're like, oh, "Okay, this is starting," and and that's doing it every day, before you're like, "Okay, this is starting to be a an, an unconscious thing that that happens," and your body just starts. So it's it's you can feel the difference right away. You can feel the the fascial patterns immediately, but it's all conscious until uh, depending on kind of what level you're at a month to two months. And and so I tell people just because this helps right now, doesn't mean you should stop doing it. You have to continue it for two months every day, because that at the end of two months, you're going to look back and be like, Oh, okay. Now I see the difference versus just kind of having the the one week. Oh, that helped with the pain. I'm done. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of the timeline there where where it, it takes at least a month of doing it every single day consistently before your your brain starts to do it uh, subconsciously. Sometimes more. I've seen people take up to three months of doing it every single day before they before I can say, "Hey, can you do this thing?" And they can just rip it off without thinking about it. You know. Um. So let's talk about the the shoulder. Uh, yeah, this, shoulder this case study. Yeah. Yeah. This, this one. This one. I I wish I would have taken. Better notes on. He's a buddy of mine, so uh, we were we were just kind of shooting the breeze. And I didn't, I did not take nearly as good of notes as I should have.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just curious. And I think I think at least like because uh, I know we've talked about a lot of concepts to like you know approach and, and things that you're looking at. So I, I figured it'd just be a cool opportunity to to look at you know like one one case where something kind of jumped out at you. You know.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. So basically, this guy comes in and he's like, he's he's a, uh, a trainer and uh, like a, a a fitness trainer, not a, not an athletic trainer. And he does a lot of FRC. And so for those of you that don't know FRC, it's a a kind of a a technique and a certification that you can get. That's about joint movement and muscle tension. And and so he's very aware of his body and he goes, when I do, I believe it was like, like inversion of my foot and then hip flexion, like straight leg hip flexion. I have a really bad pain at the bottom of my foot. And so it was affecting him during certain like, Running or lifting, but the one time he could replicate it on the table, he's like every single time it's inversion of my foot with hip flexion, and that causes me pain on the bottom of my foot. It's it's like seven out of ten bad. And so he had been working with a physical therapist for a month or two, worked on the bottom of the foot, tons of soft tissue, tons tons of exercises, no change. All right, well let's move to that the calf because maybe there's some tension there, calf and ankle. They worked on the calf and ankle for another month. No change, like literally, literally zero change. And so he comes in and, and those are the first two things that I'll look at. I'm not, I'm not going to say immediately, oh, you got an ankle, a foot problem. Let's check out your opposite shoulder. Uh, so just, I just don't want that to be clear. Like I'm not, no, going crazy. Out I'm not, I'm, I'm going with the most likely answer first. And so fortunately he came to me and he'd already done two months of rehab on foot, ankle, calf with, with no dice. So now we start moving through this whole fascial pattern. We're doing some hamstring stuff, no change. We're doing some hip stuff, no change. We do some low back stuff, no change. Oh, my dog. Oh, buddy, are you all right? <laughs> my dog just uh, got caught in my computer, <laughs> my computer charger, and jumped <laughs> off my lap and ate it pretty hard. Um, he looks all right, though. He's, he's resilient, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> resilient pup. Uh, but But, uh, so, so we go through that whole, we go through that whole thing. We check hamstring hip low back. And and I'm like, and no change. And I'm like, all right, dude, this is going to seem really weird. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I have not done this treatment for this thing before, but we're going to try it because we're, we're kind of out of options here. And so we started working on his rotator cuff and I was doing some, some Graston work on his rotator cuff uh, really on the tendinous, uh, insertions. And I'm like, how does this feel? And he raised his foot. He's like, Oh my, that's, that's much better. The, the, his range of motion without pain improved. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's weird, but super cool. So we're, if it was, I think it was his right foot. We're working on his left rotator cuff. And so we're doing the soft tissue. It's improving a little bit but kind of plateaus uh we had an hour to work so spent about 5 minutes starts plateauing and I'm like all right I'm not going to overdo the soft tissue load there so we start looking at so so I'm like all right what exercises what kind of what kind of properties of the fascia and properties of the muscle can can we use and I landed on overspeed eccentrics of the rotator cuff and so what that looked like was he was standing he was standing upright and I had a band behind his wrist and I asked him to continually throw his wrist back into external rotation and let the band shoot his, his wrist forward into internal rotation. So he's doing rotator cuff movements, but every single time he does it, he's just throwing his, his wrist back. And, and then the band's shooting him forward faster than gravity would, when he has to catch it. And so we did 10 reps there, 20 reps there, had him lay back down on the table and it was like 90% better. <laughs> and he, he's like, I have no idea what just happened, but my foot pain is gone. I'm like, all right, let's do some more. And so I gave him these as homework. We did a little bit more. We did some, some kind of slow eccentrics and, and a little bit more, but his foot pain was 100% gone. And I, and it was all because we were working on the left shoulder, like, le- like legitimate. I, I talked to him every, every, uh, couple of weeks and checked in with him a couple of weeks later. He's like, yeah, I haven't had a single problem with my foot since we worked on my shoulder.
1: And and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. I I think that's an, that's an awesome place uh, to kind of finish up with because I think it kind of sums up, I feel like that story sums up, uh, you know, who you are, stay curious. Right. And, and, you know, stay open-minded. You never know. And sometimes, especially in what we do, it's like you don't have to have the answer of exactly how things happen. Sometimes things just work because you're willing to stay open-minded and, uh, and just kind of, you know, be curious in the process. So that's, that's really cool. Um, little,
0: little, a uh, little background on him that I, right. I remembered from his history after i had worked on that, he had broken his left collarbone two years earlier and his range of motion on the left shoulder was always restricted. And all of a sudden there's all these pieces that start to come in little neck injury on the left side, collarbone injury on the left side, like all of these things started to add up and you're like, all right. well we should have done shoulder rehab for you a long time ago but let's do some now
1: yeah when tissue is all connected you never know how tissue changes in one place might you know affect another so yeah it's yeah take the whole thing into consideration um okay i got a, a lightning round of questions for you uh they're just fun questions that you know we like to ask everybody at the end of an episode so first one if you're ready yeah okay let's do it. uh what is the most influential book you've ever read
0: the most influential book I've ever read uh, outside of the Bible, which is absolutely influential. That counts. That counts. Uh, well, I want to go. I want to go. Uh, Wild at Heart by okay. uh, by John Eldridge.
1: Okay. Uh, and then uh, next question: what, what book are you reading right now? Uh,
0: the book I'm reading right now is uh, it's called what is it called? It's uh, functional or uh, fashion manipulation part. Uh, practical part, first level. Uh, so I'm reading that. It's a Stecco uh, soft tissue. And then I'm also reading Cokeland um, about nice. the, the Coke brothers. Sweet. Yeah. A little, uh, little
1: work stuff and a little fun.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: if you could have any meal delivered to your door tonight from anywhere in the world, what would it be?
0: Oh, man. Uh, I am going with in and out
1: yeah i was i was joking about asking you why would it be in and out but i i just I, I didn't know that you'd actually have that answer
0: <laughs> no it's got to it's got to be in and out that's the only thing that i feel like i can't fully get in Chicago. i can get a burrito that's that's good i can get the sushi i can get the poke i can't get in and out and that's that's the one meal that's truly missing from my life
1: i can get some either if i if i ever order it i'll, I'll order you some too I appreciate it. it. I appreciate yeah.
0: it. I'm going, I'm going out to California in like two weeks. I'm absolutely going to eat it every day. <laughs> Perfect. Uh,
1: last question. If you could go back in time and give advice to a younger version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give?
0: Two things, three things, three things. Number one, invest in Bitcoin early, <laughs> invest in Bitcoin early. Uh, number two is play soccer and do gymnastics. Those yeah. are the two things. I did not play either of those sports. Those would have helped a ton. Um, and number three is get your back x rayed early on because it's not worth the injury to play through things in eighth grade.
1: Yeah, all, all fantastic pieces of advice. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, so before we, we wrap up, uh, where can people find you? Um, uh, so you social find media, me, and all
0: it. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Dr. Michael Risher. Um, on Twitter at Dr. Risher. Um, and then, I don't know, I don't really use LinkedIn, but you can find me on Michael Risher on LinkedIn, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and, and then if you do, I, I get a lot of people that um, will want to email me. Feel free to email me at rehablabchicago at gmail.com. Um, more than, I might not get to, back to you same day, but uh, but I try to get back to, to everybody that sends me an email with, with questions. So uh, those are the best spots uh, to to find me.
1: Cool. And then, uh, you know, before you leave, any, any projects or anything you want to let people know about that you're working on, anything coming up in the future that people should keep an eye out for?
0: Yeah, so I'm working on kind of this whole fascial neurology. Uh, we're going to make a course uh, as well as daily programming. So um, go on my Instagram, check out some of the videos. If it, if it looks appealing, then the course is definitely going to be for you. Uh, we're hoping to launch uh, March 1st, 2022, uh, or at least in that range right now. And we're, we're kind of in the, the building process, uh, and organizational process. So I'm, I'm super excited about that because right now I'm very limited to the number of people that I can get my hands on. Uh, and so I'm excited to be able to expand because a lot of people message me from, from other countries, uh, and, and, you know, I can't really give them a good outline of here's what you do because we don't have it built out yet or videos. It's like, yeah, here's this Instagram video that I did. So I'm really excited to have kind of a course that's going to teach everyone the hows and whys um, of, of the fascial neurology. And then at the end, incorporate daily programming where, hey, if you want to improve this, this pain generally, if you want to improve as an athlete, uh, here's, here's programming that you can do to, you know, kind of accelerate that and, and move yourself uh, along that path. So that's coming out uh, 2022, hoping, hoping for March uh we got a little ways to go here but i'm super excited for that
1: yeah very cool well yeah thank you again for taking the time uh, that was a lot of fun uh, you know i'm selfish I, I always have a lot of fun talking to you and learning out about this stuff so uh we'll definitely do another one dive into some more concepts especially when when you release that uh okay. that program um yeah thanks so much man I, i'm looking forward to doing it again soon
0: yeah thanks for having me on this was a blast yeah cool all right